Would you remain standing and pray with me, please? Father, as we come now to the preaching of your word, Lord Jesus, we ask you that you would, as, as, as has already been prayed, that, Lord, you would open our minds and our hearts and have us to receive from you what you want us to have today from, the, from your word. May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to open them up to Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22. Um, Ephesians 5, 22. And um, I'm actually going to read this text again to to emphasize a, a certain few things. And so while you're turning there, if you would just listen along, Ephesians 5, 22. Paul writing to the Ephesians, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and himself is its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are all members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. (laughs) Okay. Yes, I already hear the last. You know, it's interesting that the lectionary absolutely omits these readings, even as you go through, if you do follow the lectionary, as it goes through Ephesians. And I got to be honest with you this morning, there's a real temptation for me to walk in here and just simply say, these verses say what they say and mean what they say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you just go sit down. But I do believe that if many people and many Christians could, they would omit portions of the Bible like Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Why is that? Well, the women in the room kind of begin to glare and hostility at first, while the men kind of look excited to begin with at Ephesians 5, 22, which says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. But then the men's excitement quickly fades when we get to Ephesians 5.25 and hear husbands. Love, that word there, love, is agape. That type of love. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so there's some questions I I want to address this morning. Why do these teachings hit us so hard? Why do so many self-styled progressive Christians try to admit them? Or better yet, explain them away? Why are the two concepts of submission and agape love so foreign to us today? Why are they foreign categories to us? Well, these concepts of submission and love are foreign foreign to us for several reasons. One, we all come from families, some even quite religious, where family life was abusive or oppressive. So we subconsciously write words like submission off. 
seeing it somehow as oppressive or abusive or an ideal or maybe Paul had a misinterpretation or just a, it's just a simple impossibility. It's impossible to live out. So we just dismiss it from our minds and go on. Secondly, we live in a society that celebrates radical, autonomous individualism, where basically no one is a higher authority than my own conscience. And basically, it says, I am my own pope, and I get to determine what is true of Scripture and what's not true of Scripture, and actually, at the end of the day, nobody tells me what to do. And then also, thirdly, society is drifting toward a radical egalitarianism as fast as it can. Radical egalitarianism is not what we hear in the Declaration of Independence, which says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all people are created equal. It's not that type of equality that, that, that's, that's going rampant or growing rampantly right now. See, that type of equality is, is about equality or in the Declaration of Independence. That is about voting rights. That is about employment opportunities. That is about remuneration. No, friends, see, radical egalitarianism is where people refuse to see the basic ontological distinctions between humans in reference to gender, function, role, and design. And hints of a radical egalitarianism working in our culture could be seen just this past week. If you were listening to the news at all, perhaps you saw where Target, the store Target, is beginning to move away from having signs indicating specific gender for certain types of items. I saw this this past Christmas as some folks went after toy manufacturers for manufacturing what they alleged are gender-biased toys, i.e. pink toys for girls and blue toys for doll, or for boys. Excuse me, yeah, pink toys for girls, blue toys, blue toys for boys. A lady in the Huffington Post, and man, the Huffington Post is a preacher's pinata, I'm going to tell you. Pretty much... <laughs> I just tell you, listen, whatever they say, I probably am going to disagree with 99% of 90% of the time. Listen to what this lady said, ranting about this specific issue. She said, it's the proud mother of a seven-year-old, seven-year-old boy who sees no gender when it comes to his imagination and love for toys. Frozen dolls were on the top of his holiday wish list this year. Like millions of other children, my boy couldn't get enough of the movie and was constantly walking around singing, let it go. She goes on to say, it's time we realize that toys don't have gender. We assign it to them. And then she goes on to say, and asking this question. She says, are we a society so narrowly minded that we really do believe a boy should only stick to sports, superheroes, and bloodshed, and girls are better suited for shopping beauty and tiaras? Then she finishes up with this. This is the same type of mentality that says a woman's place is in the home. To that, I say, apparently, she didn't get the message in the song, Let It Go. <laughs> Took a minute. <laughs> Maybe the boy needs to sing it some more. But, but seriously, now, listen, listen, seriously. If toys are to be made gender neutral so that there are no perceived differences between boys and girls' toys or in their choices of toys... Friends, you better believe the phrase, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, is certainly not going to be received well by many people. With this type of confusing stuff going on in the world around us, it's no wonder when wives read or hear that phrase, that they are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. It feels odd to you. It feels odd to the ladies in the room. 
It may even feel like a step back in progress or somehow be seen as hurtful to women. But folks, it's just as confusing for us men. Listen, when men are told to love their wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her, you know what? We don't know what to do with that. We don't know what that means either. We've drunk from the, for, so freely from the well of radical autonomous individualism where basically I get to do whatever I want in life that when it really comes down to it, to this call, men are asking the questions. Why do I want to give up anything? Why should I give up anything? But friends, these are not the only issues that make the concepts of love and submission in Ephesians 5, to 33 seem foreign to both men and women. See, friends, there's been a long-growing situation that began about 40 years ago in the United States. And to be honest, because of it, I can see why women are not quick to sign up for the Submissive Wife's Club. And I can see why the men are confused. This phenomena has all sorts of names. Some call it extended adolescence. Others call it child adults. And some refer to it rather disparagingly as the syndrome of the man-child. Now, friends, a lot of what I'm going to talk about this morning is not bad in it, even in and of itself. So don't listen to what I say and take it completely wrong that I'm condemning a lot of things I'm going to say. But I am going to talk about some things rather negatively to make some points. See, from 1960 to year 2000, the numbers of those attending college and grad schools doubled in this country. High school graduates were told that the best and highest earning degree or the best and high, the best and highest earning jobs go to those with college degrees. And while at one time in 1960 or 1950, the percentages of marriages, I believe if I read right, about 80% of the people from 19 to 24 year old or from 19 to 24 years old were married. However, by the time we got to 2000, only 50% of the people that age were married. When high school graduates were told this, that they were going to go and earn degrees beyond high school, what many took, did not take into consideration, is that this would take many years for them to earn. Corporate America responded as well. See, the path of establishing a career track for many young people with bachelor's degrees included years of running labyrinths of extended training, internships, taking jobs laterally and horizontally, and also being open to move anywhere in the United States. So not only does a more degree or father degree is going to take longer or, or getting more, earning more degrees is going to take several years, but also it's going to take you several more years to establish a career track. In, 19, or between, in the years 19, or the 1960 to 2000 time frame, Psychologists began to observe something in, a, in our well-educated demographic in the United States. They started seeing that people between the ages of 25 to 35 years old struggling severely with a sense of self and identity. This psychosocial-emotional turmoil was formerly only associated with 18 to 20-year-olds. But for the college-educated now, adulthood seemed to be put on hold until much later in life. And many confessed to being confused about their identity in the world, began to feel horribly insecure and conflicted with no direction. 
Thus, the psychological term child adult was no longer limited to the 18 or 20-year-old, but also was now applicable and opened up to the 20 to 35-year-old person whom had seemed to be waitlisted in life for adulthood. Well, it wasn't long before this demographic of 25 to 30-year-old child adults became a target of marketing. A large part of marketing, see, is to give a sense of identity and belonging to people as well as shape and create culture. And they, knowing that those without four-year degrees were not in a position to compete for jobs in the knowledge economy, and knowing that many of these child adults were well-to-do financially or coming from well-to-do families, listen, they were marketed to as a people who were set apart and above the rest. And a lifestyle of pre-adulthood and extended adolescence started becoming promoted in this country by companies. This was held up as the way to live. This was held up as the good or best life. The perfect example of this demographic, what I'm talking about, is found in the 1990s sitcom Friends. How many of you remember that? Rachel, Monica, Phoebe, Chandler, Joey, and Ross, most of them college graduates. How old? Middle-aged, somewhere around 25 to 30 years old, still living just like they were in college. Unlike generations previous to 1950 whose life scripts were more fixed and choices were more narrow, the moms and dads of the post-1950s culture sent their kids to college with the message, be better than us. You can be anything you want to be. Write your own script. And so, friends, what happened is a lot of rootless 19-year-olds entered college tabula rasa as blank slates who didn't know who they were, what they wanted to be, with no real basis to guide them. I mean, naturally, if a man's been told that or if his dad's telling him the whole time to be better than me, son, he's going to go off and want to do better than his dad's nine-to-five job at the office, the factory, the mill, or the farm. And the women wanted to be more than mom at home as a housemaker and a housewife. And you know, it leaves a void in people's lives when they go off rootless like that. And you know what? Something's going to fill that, those rootless voids in their lives, and something did. Again, as I mentioned a minute ago, the lifestyle that was held up to them as the good life is the life they learned in college. A continuation of adolescence. A frat-like maturity of eternal youth, tanned, skinny, rock-hard bodies, endless partying and playing, a life devoid of adult responsibilities, and a culture where one works so they can play, socialize, buy toys, and retire only to play and buy more toys. And beloved, it's developed among men in our culture the attitude that I, of this, I never want to grow up. And it's developed in the terms of, in the souls of a lot of women. I'm afraid to grow old. And friends, we've not just allowed it, but we've encouraged it in this culture. Playboy magazine and that entire enterprise was built on this concept. Hence the name Playboy. As well as today's media magazines of GQ, Men's Health, and Maxim hold up the same thing. Where are we today? This perpetual state of adolescence has led us to the view consciously and unconsciously in America, get this, that marriage, kids, husband, and wife responsibilities are a drag on life. They're a drag on career track, and they're a drag on my identity. 
It has delayed people from forming a stable sense of identity. It has expanded the pool of hookups and potential spouses. And if you talk to any young people who are dating or in that process, it's made serious dating next to impossible and raised a lot of doubt about the possibility of having any meaningful relationships in life or marriage. Why? Men, listen up. Most of this is our fault. It's because there's a bunch of man children running about in the world who won't grow up who run around treating women like disposable estrogen toys, who are more concerned about Star Wars. Like, you know, guys, if if you're 25 years old and you're still playing with Star Wars figures, come on. (laughs) I've seen it. I walked into college dorms. I worked on a college campus. I couldn't believe it. (laughs) Rooms full of Legos for adults. I get it. But anyway, I'll move on. More, but, but, but listen, more concerned about Star Wars, Spike TV, Comedy Central, playing Xbox all night with their buddies, looking for the next toy, trying to find the best craft beer in town, holding on to their college days and their college buddies and relishing in juvenile behavior so they can post it on YouTube later. That, that's kind of the essence of the, the modern young male out here. They're more concerned with that than becoming grown men who are ready to embrace the responsibilities and virtues needed needed in this world to be a man, a husband, and a dad. So when Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, guess what? Most guys have no clue or category for such. I was talking to a girl a couple of weeks ago who was completely heartbroken over her and her boyfriend. But when she began to describe him, describe what was taking place in their relationship, I looked her in the eyes and said, sweetheart, will you do me one favor? She said, what's that? I said, please do not marry some boy you have to raise. Amen. Some mom said it. And then as one woman put it in a lot of the, art, or in the articles and the books that I read for studying this, for this sermon, listen to this. This is so indicative of where we are today. She said, the guys I date today are more like the kids I babysat in high school than the fathers who drove me home. Beloved, all that must change. Not next week, but today. Because men, listen, women are giving up on the man-child of today in two ways. First, women are going it alone in the culture. They're graduating from college in higher numbers, with higher GPAs, and have more confidence and drive than men. They're excelling in grad school and moving up the line in the workplace. And in many cities, women out-earn their boyfriends, brothers, or husbands financially several times over. Why? Somebody has to take the lead. The void has been opened. You can't work in the world without leadership. And if there's positions open, it's going to be filled, and it, as it should be. Secondly, women now today, or, or in other ways, they're giving up on the man-child of today, and this is the saddest. They're just accepting men for who they are, and at safe emotional distances, they are following men's shallow lead as they too seek love in other places like fiction novels, like those of Fifty Shades of Grey. You say, man, you say stuff like that. I mean, you know, listen, go, sign into Amazon, pull up the bestsellers list, 
go to the fiction novels and read through the plots and see if I'm telling a lie. Friends tell me that porn addiction is just as high with women today as it is with men. And so when I read Paul in Ephesians 5.25 who says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Would I really think we, not just Christ church, but the church as a whole, ought to hear today is a clear-cut call to cut through all this mess without nuance, without justification, and without rationalization Hear this call today to grow up, to man up, and assume responsibility and accept the role to lead in our families that God has called us to. But men understand that does not mean you get to lead any way you want. See, the reason many women have problems with the word submit today is not because the Lord said for them to do so. I fear it's because they seldom meet men with enough Christ-like character that they want to willingly submit to them. But now, ladies, listen up. At the same time, to be fair, there are some men out there, I've met some, that are trying their best to get it right. And many of you, for whatever reasons, don't want to be led. You don't want to be, when we really get down to brass tacks, you don't want to be led by Jesus, God, or anyone else but yourself for yourself. And to be honest this morning, ma'am, if you can't submit to Jesus Christ as Lord is your life, it's not likely you can submit to anyone else. And ladies, understand, I'm not beating up on you. It's nothing, I'm not trying to be ugly this morning. I'm saying this because I care about you as your pastor. But some of you want to be treated like a queen by your husband, but there's no gracious tone of kingship, either this king or a, a kingdom at home, a kingdom outpost in your attitude or demeanor toward your husband. No matter what he does for you, you're never content or satisfied. And you know, after a while, years and years and years and years of that, over and over and over, men, it's just kind of in our DNA, DNA in our default zone. We're just like, <laughs> whatever. That's where we go. But beloved men and women both are to take as their role model Jesus Christ, who is the supreme example of both love as well as submission. Men, listen up. Jesus is not a bossy, arrogant, bullying, or abusive, raging, immature male. Jesus is love. Jesus is agape, love, the highest form of love. He is love that created the universe. A love that sent Christ down to suffer hell on the cross to save us rebels. It's a love that would not stop at anything to save his beloved. Women also, Jesus is the model of what a submissive spirit looks like. In his own words, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. You may say, well, Jesus was a guy. Okay, then look to Mary, Jesus' mom. The Theotokos we have up here, the God-bearer in Luke 1.38, upon visitation to the angel, said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, men, back to you. Loving your wives as Christ loves the church basically means this, 
And this is the hardest part for me. I'm preaching to myself as much as I am anyone else today. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. Jesus is our model to follow. You say, well, I, I hear what you're saying. You know, I mean, kind of, we just kind of like dove into this text and everything. Listen, we've been preaching through this entire series, or, or through Ephesians this entire summer. Listen, men, you want to know what it looks like to love your wife as Christ loves the church? Pick back up and read through Ephesians 1 through 3. Jesus is our model of humility Our perfect model of mercy, empathy, meekness, righteousness, purity, endurance, justice, wisdom, courage, moderation, faith, hope, and yes, agape love. Men, Jesus is our example who died and gave himself up for all of humanity. And so men, what that means for us, and for for us men, that really means us sacrificing our personal luxuries It means sacrificing our self-indulgences for our wife, our family, and spending time and money for the happiness and well-being of the family, not our own happiness. Say, why is that? Listen, Jesus didn't hold up on to anything for you. He gave up everything for you. And so when Paul gives this command, essentially he's asking us to do the same thing for our kids. And men, listen up. If you won't do it for your wife, do it for your kids. We'll talk about that some next week. Ladies, submission does not mean your husband can abuse you. Look, I know some folks have been in some bad situations. Listen, Jesus doesn't tell you, God does not command you to stay in those situations, okay? I want to be completely understanding and apologetic of that, okay? Submission does not entitle or mean he has the right to abuse you. He does not have the right to use you as his ottoman, or force you to do things you don't want to do. But no, being submissive does mean, though, that we have to, that ladies, you gotta get over yourselves too. Say, why is that? Because in the imagery of Ephesians 5, Christ does not drag his bride, that is the church, you and I. I don't think any of you would say that, you know, Christ drug me off against my will. Instead, the church willingly goes wherever Jesus leads. Now, friends, for the sake of time, there's more I could say. But for those who scoff at such notions taught in Ephesians 5, to 33, let me ask this question, folks. From where we stand today, in the midst of broken homes, in the world where marriage has become a tragedy or a joke for most of us, Has society around you, listen up, ask yourself this question. Has society around you offered you a better model than what St. Paul gives right here? Have we somehow right now in 2005 gotten the matter of gender roles, family, and marriage right? And are we at a place now where we are able to tell everyone else how to settle the tension between the sexes? I don't think so. Say, well, how do we settle the tension in the marriage between husbands and wives? It's pretty simple, actually. Christ came to die for each and every one of you out of love. Christ came in his grace to extend his love and his grace in this world. So picture, if you would, a woman over here and a man over here who are coming together to get married. 
There's nothing either one of them could do to earn God's favor. It's by pure grace and and Jesus' pure love that they're saved at all. Grace is extended to the husband. Grace is extended to the wife. Why? Grace and love are to be exchanged between husband and wife. That's what it means to submit to one another. That's what it means to love one another. But somehow or another, we've made this so much more difficult than it needs to be. You say, well, I don't understand this. I, I don't understand. Why would Paul talk about submissiveness? Why would he talk about love like this? Why would he command it? I'm not exactly sure why Paul, what was going on in Ephesus that, that determined all this. But I do know this. He says this is about Christ in the church, that this is about the church. Friends, if for no other reason in the church we need to get marriage right, or if there are, well, let me back up. In the church, Friends, we need to get marriage right because there's a culture out here that's looking to us to get it right. We need to exemplify that love of Christ, not just in between our social activities and things like that, but folks really do need to see it in our marriages. So this concludes part one of this particular ser- of Ephesians on the family. Next week, we plan, I plan on addressing the issue of children as well as the workplace. But friends, listen, from the assertion of the raw data that I see and hear every week as a minister, I've not found a better model than what Paul offers us here. So until then, wives, submit to your own husband, or excuse me, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.